0: Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace we have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus in order so that for the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed through his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own works, it is a gift of God, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. We are God's poem, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works God prepared in advance for us to do.
1: Hey guys, Jen just uh, quoted from Ephesians chapter 2, which she had memorized. Uh, And that passage in particular has been um, just really comforting my soul, and hopefully it did for you. And we're actually going to be circling back the, to that at the end of my message. Uh, but wanted just to take a moment and welcome you here, whether you're in your living room, I'm in mine, uh, whether you are a follower of Jesus, whether you're a skeptic, whether you're curious, wherever you are on your journey, my hope is over the next few minutes that the hope. And the story that we have of Jesus' resurrection would grab your heart in a way that it never has before. And so I want us to focus and open up with this one word that we're going to be focusing on uh, for the rest of our time here. And that word is behold. It's not a word that we use oftentimes uh, in our language, but behold or edu in the Greek is this word where uh, the author, as they're writing, if they wanted you to just stop and pay attention, they would insert this word. And this word is inserted three different times in Luke chapter 24 we're going to be reading. And it always just, it kind of grabs everything that's going on in the story and says, now pay attention to this. Um, I love how Priscilla Schreier says it. it says, the truth of beholding is that our eyes can be open to the activity of God in the midst of other circumstances. And that's my prayer today on this Easter Sunday, is that in all the circumstances that are going on, that we would have a behold moment, that our eyes would be open to the activity of God in the midst of everything that's going on around us. Uh, So let's go ahead, open up your Bible if you have one, to Luke chapter 24. If not, you can uh, look one up on an app or even on the internet. I would encourage you just to read along with me. We're going to be starting in verse 1. It says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb "'taking the spices they had prepared. "'And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. "'When they went in and they did not find "'the body of the Lord Jesus, "'while they were perplexed about this, "'behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, "'and as they were frightened "'and bowed their faces to the ground, "'the men said to them, "'Why do you seek the living among the dead? "'He is not here, but he has risen.'" Now, I love that word that it gives right there. They were perplexed. Now, think about this. Uh, Their rabbi, their their master, they were following around for years, had just been executed and crucified three days earlier, and they show up. It is now after the Sabbath, and they have spices prepared for burial, and they get there, and the person their entire life has revolved around is gone. Perplexed, I think, is an understatement. Uh, But I think it's a word that we can all identify right now, that there's a perplexity in our own minds and our own souls. And it's within their perplexity that the author says, behold, look, something's about to happen. Two angels appear and they say, why are you looking for Jesus here? He has risen. And so as we uh, get ready to dive in today, three things I wanted you to be aware of, three themes that we're going to be hitting today. Number one, is to behold the resurrected King. The resurrected King would grab our attention in this time. Secondly, that we behold the richness of God's grace. And lastly, that we would behold the renewal of life. Uh, but first, to behold the resurrected King. Um, I cannot overemphasize how critical and central the resurrection of Jesus is to our faith. Everything stands upon it. Um, If my friends who uh, have yet to believe in Jesus or who are skeptics often will come to me with questions, and I always love to begin at the resurrection because Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Jesus never raised from the dead, then our preaching, our faith is useless. So everything comes back to this moment. And if Jesus raised from the dead, everything changes. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, even if he was crucified, then everything we're doing here doesn't matter. And so just to give you a little bit of an example, I, um, a while back, uh, our son Augustine, uh, he always loves to find our wallets. So we have to try and hide them because for him, he loves to play with them. And And one day we saw him walking around with a Disneyland pass that was gifted to us. And we're like, where did you get that? And with kind of a smirk, he just starts running uh, as fast as he can. And uh, and so we chase him down, get the card, try and find the other cards. And we realize that we're in trouble. We have no way to figure out if this is valid or not. Um, unless we try it out. And what's so funny is we're looking at these two different cards, trying to figure out which one has value, but they both look the same. They both have the same design, they're both plastic, but one of them has immense value and changes the entire experience them, and one of them is just a piece of plastic. And I'd like to just lay behold you. If Jesus raised from the dead, it changes everything. If he didn't, then everything we're talking about here loses its value. He just becomes another teacher. It just becomes another figure in history. But if for a moment we could just sit for today and behold Jesus as the resurrected King, I promise you that everything in your life will change. Even if the world and circumstances leave you perplexed, there's something that we can sit on. So let's dive into this first point here, beholding the resurrected King. What I'd like to do for the next um, three or four minutes is I want to lay out evidence for you of why we can have a logical belief system around the historical event of Jesus' resurrection. Um, Now, if you already believe that Jesus raised from the dead, great, maybe this informs you. If you don't believe that, I would just ask you to open up your minds to this. I'm going to just lay out why two-thirds now of historians, Christian and non-Christian, believe in a physical resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Um, there's a lot of material on this. A matter of fact, I'll link a PDF if you guys want to read uh, my notes on this. All this is taken from Lee Strobel, Dr. William Craig, and Dr. Timothy Keller, and this is kind of a condensed version of that, but just five facts for you to consider on why we can actually believe that Jesus actually raised from the dead. Number one is that we know for a fact Jesus was crucified. And you might be like, well, how do we know Jesus was crucified? Uh, well, we know that because not just in the writings of the disciples, but in Greek writers and Jewish historians, every single one around that age, talk about this rabbi from Nazareth who was crucified. Uh, There's no competing uh, narratives that would say that he wasn't. All historians believe on that fact. Um, Around that, there's some other things. Uh, The eyewitness accounts that are there, uh, the humbling nature of The disciples, they don't portray them as heroes or even brave, but as cowards. And so all of the evidence leads to that we know Jesus Christ was crucified. It's fact number one. Number two, we know as a fact that Jesus was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea, the reason we know this for fact is because we have records stating that he was in fact a member of the Jewish council. Now, because there is this historical documentation, we know exactly where Jesus was buried. If they were trying to make up a fictitious story, they would have made up a fictitious character, not someone who they could go and talk to him and to his family. Um, So we know exactly where that he died, where he was buried. Uh, Number three, we know that on the Sunday following the crucifixion, Jesus's tomb was found empty by a group of his women followers. Now, how do we know this is a fact? Well, we know this is a fact because we have evidence that the Roman government tried to create other stories of why his body was missing, therefore proving that we know his body was gone. We know his body was gone that Sunday morning. It was no longer in the tomb. Secondly, Uh, The way that the gospel writers tell this story, if they were telling a lie, they would have done a much better job. For instance, women were the first people who discovered that the tomb was empty. The reason this is a big deal is that women's testimonies didn't hold up in court, So if they were trying to establish a lie or a myth, then they would have done a better job uh, laying out some sort of lie. But because of the nature of the story, the witnesses that were in play, the other writings around the the, kind of the Roman events of that day, we know that that tomb was empty on on that morning. Fourth fact is this on multiple occasions and under various circumstances different individuals and groups of people experienced appearances of Jesus alive from the dead one of the most interesting is that paul lists that there are 500 people still alive when he was writing that you could go and talk to about this so it's not just the eyewitness account of one or two or three that maybe you could get to believe a lie but he lists hundreds that you could go that were still alive when that letter was being written, and you could go and ask them about if they saw Jesus after that. Now, that would be a pretty hard sell to say, to create a myth and say, you can go ask 500 individuals, and every single one of them would attest to the lie that you were making up. So we know, uh, based on this fourth fact, that this is not something that would have made up just simply because of the eyewitnesses that were were in place. Uh, Secondly, we also know, I'm um, sorry, the fifth fact revolves around this. It says the original disciples believed that Jesus was risen from the dead despite their having any predis- their having predisposition to the contrary. Now, check this out. Uh, Jesus' brothers, for example, we know did not believe Jesus was the Son of God until after the resurrection. For those of you who have brothers, how hard would it be for them to convince you that they were the Son of God? Um. According to, to the brothers of Jesus, they didn't believe it, like most brothers wouldn't, and, but something changed. What would have caused a brother to, to move from someone who had ostracized himself to someone who would have called him a Lord, other than the fact of the resurrection? Think about the disciples. 11 of the 12 ended up losing their life, most of them being crucified themselves because of a resurrection. Now, You might be able to get one person to lose their life because of a lie. If you get two or three, that's amazing. But to get 12, 20, 500, and thousands of people losing their lives for one lie, I would like for you to show me one other place in history that a lie was built around that people were literally willing to be martyred and lose their life for that sake. And so these are just, again, just a few of the things that we kind of, we can stand here today and say, is there there any other conclusion that we can come to other than the fact that Jesus died and rose on that Sunday morning? N.T. Wright says it like this, that is why as a historian, I cannot explain the rise of early Christianity unless Jesus rose again, leaving an empty tomb behind him. In 300 years, the Roman Empire was turned over and became uh, predominantly Christian without internet, uh, without it being a legal, uh, recognized religion, but simply because Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. Uh, Last fact I'd love to just lay before you. In the Old Testament, written hundreds of years before Jesus ever showed up, there is a promise or a prophecies again and again of this promised one. There's, There's actually 366 prophecies. Jesus fills every fulfills every single one of those prophecies. Now, again, if you wanna read more about it, uh, there's tons of incredible books and podcasts. I'll leave the PDF of much more notes on this on the website, but I just wanted to let you know that we're standing here today not because of a feeling, not because it makes us feel better about ourselves, but because it's actually happened. Jesus Christ raised from the dead 2,000 years ago, and because of that fact, Everything changes because if Jesus rose from the dead, then we have to take everything that Jesus said in a whole different light. Timothy Keller says this, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept that he that he said, if I didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of the other things that he said? The, is- the issues on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. That's from his book, The Reason for God that if Jesus in fact rose from the dead, then everything that he's done, his entire life and ministry, we now have to come to in a completely different light. And my hope is that at the end of this video, if you haven't already, that we would have a behold moment, that we'd have a recognition that Jesus demands not only our consideration, but ultimately our worship, ultimately our life. Which leads into our second point, is that we would behold the richness of God's grace because immediately after we identify that Jesus is in fact the resurrected King, the King of kings and Lord of lords, we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why would Jesus raise from the dead? And one thing we talk about a lot here at Light is that Jesus did not die on the cross and raise from the dead because we're worthy or because we're lovely, but rather, Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection makes us lovely, makes us worthy. What he does for us is so radical that it changes everything. So I wanted to um, just lay two reasons before you of why Jesus went through the cross and raised three days later. And it goes back to the, the verse that Jen quoted in the beginning of this. And it's because the richness of God's grace and the depth of his love that leads to not only his resurrected life, but a new life for you as well. So let's talk about that first one, beholding the richness of God's grace. Ephesians 2, if we start in verse 6, says, and God raised us up with Christ. The resurrection is not just simply a historical event. It is an invitation for us to come along with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, and here it is, he might show, so here's the purpose, that through the resurrection, him raising us up with him, is that it would show the incomparable riches of his grace, which you find in Christ Jesus. So the resurrection, when we behold the resurrection, it should draw our attention in the midst of everything else that's going on to the immeasurable riches riches of God's grace. Now, I love that word um, immeasurable, incomparable, right? These, these, this idea that you you can't measure it against something else. You can't compare it against something else. Um, one of the things my kids have been doing in the midst of quarantine uh, is that they've been doing kind of their own workout regimen. So they'll turn on a workout video for kids on YouTube. We'll get out the pull-up bar and Vienna, who's six years old, um, will do like five, just knock out five push-ups. She'll do one pull-up with my assistants. And 15 minutes later, she walks up to me within her workout garb and she goes, dad, check it out. It's bigger. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you're looking really good. And, and it's, it's really fun to just watch her compare her muscle development after her 15 minute working uh, exercises. And, uh, and the reason I tell you that story is I think oftentimes we play that game with our spirituality, don't we? We, we look at each other and be like, oh, I'm a good person. I'm not as bad as them. And we begin to start believing this narrative inside that, of course, Jesus loves me. You die for me and raise for me because I'm pretty awesome. Have you seen what I've done? Have you seen how much care I give? But what we have to recognize about the resurrection, we have to recognize about the love that Jesus gave to us on the cross, is it has nothing to do with us comparing our works to His, but rather His grace is immeasurable, it's incomparable. We can't compare our whatever our righteousness is or we think it is to just how rich God's grace is. Now, if you're hearing this, maybe for the first time, can I tell you, is that not good news or what? And sometimes we like to think that, man, I'd like to have control over my own, sense of feeling worthy or not. But if we're all honest with ourselves, that'll always leave us feeling like we're not good enough. I don't know about you, but in quarantine, as I'm around my family in close quarters all the time, what do I find in myself? Selfishness, irritability, pride. Now, I can go and play the game where I try and find someone worse than me, but if I'm honest with myself, even in my own home, I have a problem. I'm desperately in need of grace. I'm desperately in need of someone to come and move me from my own tomb into life, from my own darkness into light, from my own lack of righteousness into his righteousness which leads us to our third and final point as you're watching this, is that we would behold the renewal of life. Um, Going back to this verse in Ephesians, it opens up in verse four with these words, but because of his great love for us, God who's rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in our transgressions, it's great, by grace you have been saved. And so I just wanted to focus on that. It is because of his great love for us that he has made us alive with Christ. It's important for us to recognize that the end goal of the resurrection was not for us just to simply stand in awe, which it demands that. But it was for you to not stay in your current state of brokenness, Of discouragement, of darkness, of unrighteousness. The resurrection is not only a story of an event, it's ultimately an invitation by His great love for us. It's the richness of his grace and it's the depth of his love that is radically coming after you today. And and maybe again, maybe you're sitting and watching this in your living room or you're hearing this on your run right now and God right now is trying to break through the media and a website and he's trying to speak directly to your heart and say, do you understand the richness of my grace and the depth of my love, that I went to such extremes that I would become a human being, leave the rights of my heavenly throne, live a perfect life, die a a death he should have never died and was executed on your behalf so that you could receive life, that the resurrection that he experienced is now extended to you. And the invitation today is simply not that you would work harder. It's not that you have to sign up for something. It's not that somehow you have to change everything, although this can change everything. It's simply you accepting this gift. And that's all that grace means, is literally the word charis in Greek is just, gift it's receiving that and if if that sounds too good to be true i just want to let you know it's not too good to be true because It wasn't good for Jesus. It cost him something. That gift did not come free, but it is now extended freely towards you. You have an opportunity today to accept it. And and no, you're not accepting a good feeling. You're not accepting some ambiguous ethereal idea of God. You are accepting the good news and the invitation of Jesus Christ, the risen King, who is seated on the throne in the right hand of his Father, reaching his hand out to you, saying, Let me pull you from death to life. And my hope today is on this Easter Sunday is that you would extend your hand back. No matter where you are, you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to wait to go back to church someday. Right now, wherever you are listening to this, you can say thank you. Lord, that it is by grace that I can stand here and receive the wholeness and the gift that you're extending my way. So why don't I do this? I'm going to go ahead and pray. But I would encourage you to pray along with me. Bow your heads if you want, unless you're driving, not a good idea. But if you're watching this, uh, pray along with me. Let's, Let's give our heart over to that. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this story should never get old. This, again, is the epicenter of our faith. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that without this good news, Lord, that we would be lost. God, that we would be hopeless. Lord Jesus, but because not only you died for our sins, but because you raised again on the third day, we can now stand in this moment with hope. So Lord, Whether this is our first time or whether we're coming back to you right now, we just wanna say yes to this gift. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. We give you our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California For more information, please visit us at lightsandio.com